here this morning. We're so thankful for your presence, especially those that are visiting with us. Thank you for being with us this morning. And those that are watching online, thank you for being with us as well. Open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 1, as that will be the text of our sermon this morning. John chapter 1. Very important that we hear this. The Son of God in His incarnate state is very much a reference to the fact that He became flesh and that He dwelt among us. And as was read just a few moments ago by Brother Bob, that John would say, and He dwelt among us and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the Christ, dwelt among us. I want us to talk about this word, who became flesh. And it's very important for us to understand that Jesus, the Christ, was and is the divine Son of God. And that everything the Bible says about him, his character, his nature, his very idea of him, is true. It's true. And so we ought to put our faith and our trust in Him as our Lord and Savior. And that we should live for Him, who is described by Paul as the King of kings and the Lord of lords in 1 Timothy 6.15. We begin, first of all, by talking about His pre-incarnate state. And as we think about the pre-incarnate state of Christ, there are four things that we notice here in John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. First of all, we notice the constancy. Listen to what John said. In the beginning was the Word. When you think about the Word, and the Word here is a reference to the second member of the Godhead, that being Jesus, the eternal Logos. And so from the vantage point of his constancy, all we are talking about here is that Jesus has always existed. He will always exist. He's not a created being as some would claim today, but rather Jesus has always existed with the Almighty God. You can go back to Genesis chapter 1. And here we're introduced to God, Word, and the Holy Spirit. For example, in Genesis 1 and verse 26, the Bible says, Let us hmm, make man in our image. Who is God talking to? But to the other personalities, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Word and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the agent by which man and the world was created. And so we see Jesus has always existed. In Micah 5, in verse 2, Micah wrote about some 700 years before Christ ever made his entrance into the world. And here Micah foretold the birthplace of the eternal word, the Logos, the Son of God. And he pinpointed this birthplace as Bethlehem Ephrata. There was actually two Bethlehems. But he was very specific. It was the Bethlehem Ephrata. In that context, he said, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting. And the footnote in Micah 5 and verse 2 says, from the days of eternity. 
And so all that is is a reference to the eternal nature of Jesus, the fact that he has always existed. Furthermore, not only has he always existed, but his nature is unchanging. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 13 and verse 8, he says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The constancy of the word. But then there's a second thing that we notice here, and that's the communion of the word. Listen again to what John said in John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. This brings to mind the communion, the fellowship that Jesus or the eternal Word had and enjoyed with Almighty God the Father. In John 17 and verse 4, the very prayer of Jesus. Jesus said in the shadow of the cross, he said, I've glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He has always existed. And so Jesus stood right alongside God the Father and the Holy Spirit. There was his intimate communion throughout all of eternity. I'm not sure that I can even wrap my mind around that. To be able to wrap my mind around the fact that God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are eternal beings. That they have always existed. There's never been a time where they were not. But that's the nature of the case. And so when we think about this close-knit relationship that existed between God and the Word and the Holy Spirit, you might remember in Philippians 2 and verse 5 where Paul talks about the mind of Christ. And in that context, he talks about Jesus emptying himself and taking the form of a servant. To think about Jesus leaving the glories of heaven the communion that he had enjoyed with God the Father from time eternal with God the Father to come to this earth and to fulfill the redemptive plan of Almighty God. And so there is the constancy of the word and then the communion of the word. But then notice the third place, the character of the word. John said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Now notice, and the word was God. We're not talking about some average man here. We're talking about deity. John said the word is a reference to Jesus, the eternal logos. He said the word was God. What does that say to us? It says that everything that the Bible says about the deity of Christ is true. John is placing his stamp of approval through the Holy Spirit on the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the very Son of God, the divine Son of God. Now in John 8, 24, Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. All Jesus was saying there is this, that unless you come to believe that I am who I claim to be, the divine Son of God, you're going to die in your sins. 
You will die in your sins. It is a prerequisite. We have to come to believe that Jesus is everything and everything he claimed to be. And that is, he is the Son of God. Now in John 8 and 58, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. The great I am, underscoring the eternal nature of Jesus and the fact that he is deity. Now go back and look at verse 24. Again, where Jesus said, For if you believe not that I am he, that the translator supplied that term he. In the original, that word is not present. And what Jesus is saying, except you believe that I am the great I am. If you don't believe that, you will die in your sins. You go back and you read Exodus chapter 3, when God appeared to Moses and he identified himself as the great I am. One of the criticisms that was often leveled at Jesus was that he wasn't the son of God. There were any number of people in the first century that they did not believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. In fact, that's the very reason why he crucified. He was crucified on the cross. In the Hebrew culture, the father and the son are on the same plane, the same level. In our country today, the father and then the son. And what's interesting is that when Jesus claimed to be the son of God, guess what he did? He put himself on the same level as God, almighty God, the father. And that's blasphemy. And to them, that deserves crucifixion. But he was who he claimed to be. The divine son of God. John said, he wrote this book, and in this book, we have seven signs or miracles that point to the deity of Christ. There are seven I am's. Statements in this book and inherent in those statements, we have the fact that he is who he claimed to be, the son of God. And so John said, look, these things I've written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. And so we have the character of the word. But then there's a fourth thing, and that is the creation of the word. Listen to what is said in John 1, verse 3 of our text. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God the Father was the architect of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you begin to look at Scripture, you find that Jesus was the agent by which the world and man were made. And in Hebrews 1 and verse 10, the writer said, And thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Jesus was the one that created this universe. In Colossians 1, 15 through 17, the Bible says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Jesus is the creator. Can't get around that one. Our young people today have to sit in a university classroom, and there will be somebody who has this PhD degree on the end of their name, and they're going to try to tell you that this world is the product of evolution or some cataclysmic explosion. My encouragement to them is not to listen to those professors as they don't know what they're talking about because evolution, evolution is just but a theory. It's not based on fact. You see, the missing link is still missing. Jesus was the agent by what this by what this world was made, by which this world was made. And Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, <laughs> they became fools. Romans 1.22. Just because you have a degree in higher education does not make you an authority on how our world came into existence. You can be an educated fool. And there are a lot of educated fools in our world today. But then secondly... We talked about the pre-incarnate word. Now consider with me the incarnate word. The incarnate word is a reference to Jesus taking on a bodily form, if you will. And so as we think about that, first of all, we see the manifestation of the word. Drop down to verse 14 of our text. Here the Bible says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In order for Jesus to inhabit human flesh, two things were necessary. First of all, he needed a body. But then secondly, he had to be born. Guess what? The Bible talks about both. In Hebrews 10 and verse 5, the Hebrew writer there takes us back to the book of Psalms. And, and he said, sacrificing an offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. He's talking about Jesus. Because you see, in order for Jesus to become flesh, he had to inhabit a human body. In Philippians 2, and verse 7, the Bible says that Jesus became flesh and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus was God incarnate. He inhabited human flesh. And Paul would say in Colossians 2 and verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know, there were people in the first century that they were denying the bodily presence, the incarnate Christ. In the book of 1 John, John wrote to combat that error. And you can see John in an effort to combat this error that he literally piles evidence after evidence upon evidence so that he could leave his readers with the impression that Jesus, the Messiah, did come in the flesh. For example, in 1 John 1 and verse 1, John said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father, and which was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. John's trying to emphasize that Jesus did come in the flesh. 
Now, those who did not believe this, they were antichrist. John said that they were denying that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. And John said in John, 1 John 2, 18, even now there are many antichrists. It's important for us to understand that in order for Jesus to come to this earth, he had to come in a body. He had to inhabit a body, but then he had to be born. Isaiah, for example, back in Isaiah 7 and verse 14, the prophecy of the birth of Christ foretold of that virgin birth. Now think about this. Some 750 years before the word became flesh, Isaiah said it's going to happen. He said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Can you imagine that? 750 years before an event occurs, talking about it with accuracy. Matthew says in Matthew 1 and verse 18 and following that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. That which has been conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. And the angel of God said, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying and he quotes Isaiah 7:14 Behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted means God with us That suggests to me that Jesus inhabited human flesh And so in order for Jesus to fulfill that redemptive plan, as we talked about the manifestation of Jesus, it required a body, but it also required a birth. In Matthew 2 and verse 1, we learn that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah. That is Bethlehem Ephrata, which was prophesied in Micah 5 and verse 2. A fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. But then there's a third thing that we see, and that is the majesty of the word. Listen to, again to what John said in John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his what? His glory. That word beheld doesn't mean some casual glance but rather it carries with it the idea of inspection or investigation. And so John the Apostle and the other apostles, they they had the opportunity to examine Jesus firsthand. Do you remember what John said? We heard, we saw him, our eyes looked upon him, our hands had handled him, we touched him. They saw his miracles. They listened to him over and over again for some three and a half years as he was here on this earth. The apostles had the opportunity to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. They had the opportunity to eat with him, to listen to him for countless hours, countless sermons, to ask him questions. They had the privilege of being with Jesus, their Savior. So they had the opportunity to investigate or to inspect him for that period of time. Listen, if we're going to have any kind of faith, then we have to, we, we, we ought to have this idea of investigating. Maybe we need to investigate ourselves, right? We need to inspect or examine the scriptures themselves. The only way that you're going to come to a better understanding of Jesus, 
The only way that you're going to ever come to appreciate his nature, his character, who he is and what he has done is by spending time in this book called the Bible. Paul said, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. Peter said, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. How can you grow? You can't grow if you don't know the word of God. That's just the fact. You got to spend time in this book. Now, with regard to the apostles investigating or inspecting Jesus, Peter in 2 Peter 1.16 talks about Jesus when he was transfigured on that mountain as recorded back in Matthew chapter 17. And he said, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They had the opportunity to see firsthand Jesus being transfigured before them. They heard the voice that came from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. They heard that voice. And so in looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, we think about the majesty of the Lord. There is that investigation or inspection. But then there's identification. You see, they inspected him and then they ID'd him. They ID'd him as the divine son of God. Peter said, look, we heard that voice from heaven. There's no doubt about it. A voice that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Now going back in way of application to us, we investigate it. We inspect what the scriptures have to say. And then we have to draw conclusions, don't we? Listen to what John said. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. When they inspected the Lord, when they investigated the claims that were made by him, when they observed the very miracles that were performed and listened to what he had to say, what do you think their conclusion was? Much like Thomas, when he finally got to see as an eyewitness and a hand witness, I guess you would say, when he was able to poke his finger into the holes, and thrust his hand into the side of Jesus. My Lord and my God. Listen to Peter in Matthew 16, 13 and following. When Jesus asked that question. They came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus, he says. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Well, they, they, they said, well. Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, uh, some Jeremiah, or one of the other, or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked a pinpoint question to them. But whom say ye that I am? What do you believe? It was Peter who spoke up and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. 
In John chapter 6, when Jesus made the declaration that I am the bread of life, Jesus said many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him in verse 66. But Jesus then asked a question to his apostles. He said, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so having said that, it's incumbent upon us to see the majesty of the word. And then very quickly, let's talk about the mission of the word. What was the mission of the word? Well, first of all, Jesus came as a light into the world. (laughs) A light into the world of darkness, right? Back up and look at John chapter 1 and verse 4. Here's what John said. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When Jesus came into the world, the world was involved in a spiritual darkness. And Jesus would say in John 3 and verse 19 that the light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because why? Their evils were, their deeds were evil. The world in which we live is shrouded in darkness. It's under the dominion of the devil. As a matter of fact, Paul said that he's the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 4. 1 John 5 19, John said, In the world, the whole world lieth in darkness. And so you have this world darkened and doomed by sin. And here's Jesus, he's the light of the world. Coming to dispel the darkness. Sadly, as Jesus said, many people love darkness rather than light. And so Jesus came as a light into the world, but he also came to get or to give life to the world. Listen to what John said back in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Just think about all those Old Testament prophecies. And really, all the sacrifices that were, uh, that were um, offered under the Old Covenant. And those sacrifices could not save. They anticipated the coming of the Messiah. And so when Jesus came, Jesus came to give man one life. Jesus came to do what these Old Testament sacrifices could never do. The Hebrew writer said that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. Hebrews 10.4 But this man, Jesus, came that we might have life. Here's what Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10. He says, "I, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. John 10.10 In 1 John 5, and verse 11, John said, And this is the record, this is the testimony that God has given unto us eternal life, and that life is where? 
in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You see, when we come to that relationship, if you will, when we come into that relationship, we enjoy a relationship with the Lord. We have life. But how can we enjoy a relationship with God? Well, in John chapter 3, Jesus talked about how we become a part of the kingdom, how we become a part of his body. When he talked to Nicodemus, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then in verse 5, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, or unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. When we obey the gospel, we enjoy life, don't we? In fact, we have the hope of life eternal. We enjoy life because we have relationship, a relationship with the Lord. Where? In fellowship with God. Pretty simple enough. We had communion with them. And more importantly, we had the hope of life eternal with him. In Titus 1 and verse 2, Paul said that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. And so John is saying that Jesus came that we might enjoy life, and him was life. You see, we, we live in a pluralistic world. And there are a lot of people that have a lot of false theories about how to be saved uh, and about the one through whom we are saved. Listen. The only person that can save us from sin is Jesus. He's the only one. Here's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 4. If we want to enjoy fellowship with God the Father, we can only enjoy that through one person, and that's Jesus. In Acts 4 and verse 12, Luke recorded, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If we are to be saved, it will only be through Jesus. It will only be in Jesus. And it will only be by Jesus. The very idea that we can be saved by somebody else or some other religion is false. Jesus is saying, I am. Oh, we've heard that before. He's the great I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one that, that can give you life. Now, what is it that we hope to gain from living a Christian life? Good question, right? Well, we want to enjoy a good quality of life while we're here on this earth. And, and Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3 and verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days... Well, we want to enjoy a quality life. But beyond that, what is it that we want more? An eternal life in heaven. We want to enjoy life now in Christ. But we also want to enjoy eternal life beyond this temporal life. In closing, the only two possibilities that you can, you can either be receptive to Christ or you can reject him. Listen to what John said in verse 11 of John 1. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now that's interesting when you really think about it. You want to talk about one of the saddest commentaries in the scriptures. It's found there in John 1 and verse 11. That he came unto his own, 
and his own received them not. The Jewish people, if anyone should have been able to identify the Messiah, if anyone should have been able to examine the evidence, to investigate, to inspect, and be able to come to the conclusion that this is the Son of God, it would have been them. The Jewish people should have been the ones, yet John said they did not receive him. And they rejected him. Listen to what he says in verse 12, though. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, to those who were born of God, not of blood of man, nor the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. The new birth gives us life. The new birth puts us into the kingdom. And it is there that we enjoy a relationship, if you will, with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. I would hope and pray that we have a deep appreciation for the Word that became flesh. I'm not sure that I can fully comprehend everything involved in Jesus leaving the glories of heaven to come to this earth of sin and sorrow and sickness. But that's the love of God, isn't it? And the love of you and I in this world. He loved us so much that he didn't want us to die lost, to go to an eternal hellfire or brimstone. He wants us with him in heaven. You're here this morning, not a Christian. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there ye may be. And whether I go, you know, in the way, you know. Remember, Jesus said in verse 6 of that text, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Isn't that wonderful to think about that Jesus loved you enough to die for you individually? To give you hope. Hope of an eternal life in heaven. And not, not in that fiery place of hell. And he said, all you have to do is believe that I am he. That I am. Or else you're going to die of your sins. But he also tells us that we need to, based upon that belief, that we need to turn away from those sins called repentance. Luke 13, 3. Or else we're going to die in our sins. He also said we need to make that good confession that Jesus is the Christ. What did Peter say? He says, to whom shall we go? Thou has the words of eternal life. What did the eunuch say in Acts 8, 37? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 10, 32, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven, Jesus said. If you're willing to make that good confession, based upon your faith, in believing that he is the Son of God, based upon your repentance of those sins, 
Are you willing to go down into the waters of baptism and have those sins washed away? Acts 22, 16. I hope you will. I hope you'll do it today. Tomorrow may be too late. But the time is now. Maybe you're here already a child of God. Maybe your life hasn't been what it ought to be. Maybe you have been living faithfully according to his word. Maybe you haven't been worshiping him correctly. Whatever it might be, whatever's going on in your life, if it's sin, repent of that. Turn back to God, that first love, and pray that he will forgive you. And we'll pray with you and for you. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. There's power in the blood, believe me. 223. 223. Let me tell you, the blood of Jesus Christ will save you. But you have to do it by faith and obedience to his death, his burial, and resurrection. So there is power in the blood. So if you're in need of the gospel call, won't you come?